Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the History Brothers Podcast. I'm Andrew. And I'm Wyatt. Today, we are starting our third annual Christmas special. Uh, first, we're going to start with a tradition that we're hopefully going to do every Christmas with a story time with Wyatt, with a traditional Christmas story. Dinner Hard Talk, this is in memory of you when you used to do it at our uh, Christmas parties. Go ahead, Wyatt. Um, well, that's when he read uh, The Grinch. The Grinch, yeah. In honor of him. In honor right. of him. Not right. memory. Honor. Just okay. remember from college and stuff. So. Right. No, but um, yes, this is in honor of Doctor Den Hartog, but um, in in telling the uh, a Christmas story, is actually I suppose technically speaking, it's not a Christmas story, but it's related to someone who inspired Christmas. Exactly, at least a figure of Christmas. A part I of it, yes. Say. Um, so we've talked about it before, and in fact, our very first Christmas special we mentioned it, but I want to talk about it just a little bit more here. Um, that is, so everyone knows that uh, Santa Claus is. Other name is also Saint Nick or Saint Nicholas, and for I'm sure most people are not familiar with that name or how he came to have that name. It is actually the name of a historic church bishop who was at who was present at the Council of Nicaea in three twenty five A.D. And the reason this is significant now the Council of Nicaea is significant for multiple reasons. But the biggest reason is that the church bishops uh, debated um, the view of Jesus being one with the Father versus Jesus not being one with the Father. Arius was the one who was arguing that Jesus was not one with the Father. And many, of course, would denounce him as a heretic and would say his theology is is uh, not true to what the text teaches about Jesus being one with the Father. And f- but while Arius was articulating his position at the council to the other bishops, uh, the story goes that St. Nicholas was so frustrated at what Arius was saying and so upset that he literally went up to Arius and either did one of two things, slapped him across the face or punched him. <laughs> to be honest, I wouldn't have mind if he did the second one. Right. <laughs> but... um. Uh, and I don't know which one is more likely, but it would have been cool if if he punched him. But anyway, he St. Nicholas was so upset with his uh, treatment of this doctrine that he literally is like, I'm tired of this, tired of hearing this nonsense. You're, mm-hmm. I'm going to knock some, smack some sense into you. Exactly. Pull yourself together. Yeah, exactly. It's it's just, uh, it's really, it's kind of a funny moment in history. And, uh, and I wonder if there are any other bishops uh, at the council meeting who were... Th- Thinking after he did that, like, I so want to do that, but I'm so glad he did it instead of me. Or like, you know, I was thinking of doing that. Right. But I'm so glad he did instead. But yeah, no, I, I just think it's funny to uh, uh, speculate that. But speculate that part. But um, yep, St. Nicholas slapped Arius. And of course, the council sided with Athanasius, who was the one who argued for uh, Christ being one with the Father. And um, the Council of Nicaea affirmed that Jesus was one with the Father, affirming what the Bible already teaches. So, uh, and that's the that's the main story I wanted to tell. The other thing I wanted to note is that the name Santa Claus is actually derived from St. Nick's name. Um, from St. Tammy Parish Library website, it says, uh, The name Santa Claus was stated to evolve from Nick's Dutch nickname, Sinterklaas a shortened form of St. Nicholas, which is translated as the Dutch name for St. Nicholas. So Santa Claus is just the Dutch translation hmm. of St. Nicholas. Okay. Or it's the English version of the Dutch translation of the original St. Nick name. Hmm. Yeah. 
pretty interesting. Yeah. But yeah, that is the story of uh, St. Nick slapping a heretic. <laughs> um, there are other fascinating stories about him which we could talk about, but we will be focusing on other things uh, in this episode today, which I will now hand over the discussion to Andrew. Sounds good. And wonderful story, Wyatt. I look forward to hearing more in the Christmas specials to come. And we, also, We should actually research more on the, on the original St. Nick. Yeah, we should. That would be more fun. That would be a lot of fun. Uh, didn't we do that last year, though? I don't think so. We'll have to review that and double check. No, because that, no, that one was family Christmas tradition. That's right. Movies and stuff. Christmas Carol and all that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have, we'll have to do more St. Nick. Yep. And again, shout out to Dr. Den Hartog. I meant honor, not memory. My words are mixed up. Yeah. <laughs> I meant memory because I remember it. It's one of my favorite memories yeah. from school. So One of our favorite memories from uh, college, our college history Christmas parties. Yes, always. Anyways, on the topic of Santa Claus slash St. Nick, I'm going to be talking about certain aspects of history that are tied into it. Now, the original story of St. Nick, <laughs> guess what? I actually got a part of the is history slash stories. Yeah. Um, it comes from two original, kind of, they call them miracle plays. Back, then, back in, like, I think it was the, during the Roman Catholic Church, they had a lot right. of pl- miracle plays. They had plays of de- depicting saints that did miraculous de- things. De- they or, did miraculous things. Or yeah. other things of... Yeah. Of noteworthy appeal. There's actually a story actually about St. Nick where he supposedly, he was on a ship during a storm and he yelled, he either yelled or prayed to the sea until it calmed or something. Yeah. And, and it did. Yeah. So so he became the, pa- later on, much late. I think much, I don't know how much later, but later on he became, one of the things he became known for was the patron saint of the yeah. seas. Exactly. And basically, so... That's exactly it. But the two stories that are kind of like the origin story of St. Nick was one called The thir- Three Daughters and The Three Clerks. Now, The Three Daughters involved three young women who wanted to get married. However, they were dirt poor. So there was no... Right. They, and, and they had to be provided a dowry yes. for their marriage. Yes. Otherwise, they couldn't marry the fellows they wanted to marry. Right. Well, in comes St. Nick, who apparently at the time was very rich, very... F- that, um, that's from partially from what I gathered from this book, but also based on a recording from an Adventures in Odyssey episode I once listened to. Um, but anyways, he basically, in order to help them have a dowry, in order to marry the fellows they wanted to marry, they he basically every night went to their house and put in their stockings, ironically, the socks hung up on the fireplaces, uh, enough money and cash to, well, not cash, but currency that they had mm-hmm. to um, have a dowry for the marriages. And then another story that was given, talked about... Now, this one I did not know about. <laughs> I just found interesting. It basically tells the story of three murdered students who are miraculously returned to life by St. Nick from the, through the prayers to God from St. Nick and help them come back to life. Now, St. Nick was, during the Roman Catholic Church, as well as the Catholic Church during Rome, two separate time periods. If you don't know it, we'll, yeah. we'll hopefully one of these days talk about it. Um... Basically, they were celebrated the saints, and Saint Nick was well a saint. And when he was a saint, what happened was, was that basically, they they didn't worship him, but they honored him for who he was and what he did. And on December sixth, the Roman Catholic Church would always celebrate Saint Nicholas Day which was a day where they would give gifts in honor of what Nicholas used to do, because it was also said that Nicholas gave out stuff to children. He was. He actually also was later declared, much later than what, that from his time, but was later declared 
uh, the patron saint of children because of his generosity towards children. Yeah. So his, uh, the idea that Santa Claus, the mythical Santa Claus, gave gifts to children is based on an actual historical reality. Yeah, exactly. And basically, like St. Nick, there's many saints that they're celebrated in different days of the year. I unfortunately don't know about it, but I knew, I found out about St. Nick, basically. But in 1517, when Martin Luther began his... Um, I won't say crusade, but his no. It's definitely not a crusade. No, <laughs> those are those are as a, separate. As a, yes, as an analogy, I would say, not a word I would use, but basically, when he began the Protestant Reformation. Right. Well, um, I, I, correction, I shouldn't say we shouldn't say he began the Protestant Reformation because that was kind of gradual. Right, he, but he was he, one of multiple reasons. Yeah, well, obviously, but he was the one that was most well known, especially when he nailed right. the ninety-five thesis against the. Yes, board. he was sort of the one that helped sparked the wider spread of it. Yes. Well, anyways, during that time when the Protestant Reformation was going around, um, they were kind of trying to, they tried to move away from all the Catholics' teachings, including well, celebrating the, well, that, they, that, 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 not, not that? all the Catholics, te- well, it depends on what you mean, which Catholics are we talking about? <laughs> so, all right, so let me just, let me specify. They tried to move away from celebrating the saints and honoring the saints because they felt that was like a pagan type thing that they were doing. Right, and there and there's hist- there's historical and religious debates about this, but they believe that the way they were viewing the saints, the Roman Catholic, the way Protestants uh, looked at it was they thought the Roman Catholic Church was uh, almost worshiping or venerating the yeah. saints in a way that was not honoring exactly, God. exactly, and that's what they tried to get rid of. And Martin Luther even tried to do it too. For example, he commemorated um, December twenty fourth as the day of celebrating the birth of Christ, and also he created a he. I don't know if he's if he created his own version of it or if he just told people that it was Jesus Christ. But they he there was a thing he created called the Christ Child or Christ Kindle, which was um, basically another. Which is basically, and this is the quote from the book I am getting my information from, which, by the way, is called Twas the Night, which was the history and art of the classic Christmas poem. Right. This is where I got a lot of my Santa information. Uh, basically, from the quote from the book, um, Christ Child or Christ Kindle basically was uh, portrayed as an angel child, the representation of Jesus as a baby, and apparently sometimes would be portrayed as a young female angel with long blonde hair and wings. And basically, many children by the end of the 16th century would look forward to the arrival of this character and present in presence of candy and trinkets that they might receive. He came up with this tradition, or how did this come about? He said that he introduced the character. The the editor of this book said that Luther introduced the character he called the Christ Child of Christ Kindle in the hope of displacing uh, the popular figure of St. Nicholas. Really? Yes. I have to conduct further research just to figure it out to make sure, but... Um, just find more sources, which I can definitely find out in the coming months here. But so that's some of the other examples about how St. Nicholas and also how the legacy of like that Santa Claus-esque type thing has been going on over the years through Christian Christmas holidays and through the Christian celebrations. Um, am I forgetting anything or is there anything you want to mention also about St. Nicholas Wyatt? Um, there's something else you mentioned from the book, I think that's about him near, it was near Martin Luther's section, but like, let's see. I think it was on this page, if I'm not mistaken. Let's see. Well, there was something about um, the rep- they um, apparently with there were other characters who began to be throughout Protestant society of Christmas type figures right. that they started to talk about with wore disguises of robes and furs and 
Um, they represented a fondness for the old ways before the Reformation to the times of entertainment, feasting, and merrymaking during the 12 days of Christmas. Oh. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, the 12 days of Christmas, yeah. But I don't um, I don't remember seeing anything on that page. Okay. Um, I think I maybe it was a different page or maybe I was just thinking of something else. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wait, no, 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 now I remember. Uh, in 1087, there was um, there are people who claimed that they found sailors from Berry, Italy, claimed that they found the remains of Saint Nicholas. This was it. Yes, on the burial site of Mira, uh, basically um, where Tur- Dem- Demry, Turkey is. If anybody lives there, I am sorry, I'm not trying to butcher the name. My apologies. Yeah. Um, and transport the remains back to Italy. When they when it became too dangerous to transport um, the remains, they re-enshrined it in what they called the Basilica de San Nicola in Bari, Italy. So, and then the further remains were brought from Myra to Venice, Italy, during the First Crusade. Right. That's what I was wondering. That was the last part about St. Nicholas, yes. Why did Martin Luther come up with the, or at least according to this book, he came up with the Christ Kindle? To, in the hope of displacing the popular figure of St. Nicholas. That's weird, because I feel like he wouldn't be someone to do that. I don't know. It's just... I'm not for sure. Again, I have to review some more sources. Yeah. This is just one source. Um, I'm only using what I found for right. some information for a basic starting point. Yeah. But next Christmas special, I'm probably going to want to bring this up more, or bring this up in the poly months. Yeah. Quick side note, people. Yeah. <laughs> so... It's all right. It's... It's a starting point. It, it, it's a starting point. Yeah. For further research. Yeah. That, so, that's often the thing about historical research. You often start with something that may or may not be true, and then you figure out either you figure out more about it and realize it is true or then you real, or you fi- the more you figure out about it you realize oh man, it, it wasn't true exactly so it could be either oh yeah you never know yeah. but so yeah, that's my some of my St. Nicholas tidbits and Santa Claus effects uh, do you have any more Wyatt? Um, not about uh, St. Nick specifically or Santa Claus however I do want to mention a quick Christmas film I feel like in every episode we do of Christmas we do have to mention a Christmas film <laughs> J- just for fun right? because the first episode we did Christmas Carol we actually spent a bit of time discussing that was the that. one we talked about Christmas Carol yeah. okay. and then the second one we actually mentioned a few Christmas movies as part of our family okay. Christmas traditions so here I want to mention the film Arthur Christmas which was like <laughs> uh, early 2010s film just a fun family flick about Christmas and uh, the clauses and uh, about Arthur Christmas, the son, one of the sons of Santa Claus. Yeah. And how he wanted to return or get this toy to a little girl who had been missed by his, uh, by his older brother and his father. Yeah. And I just think it's, I mean, the movie does a fun modern twist on how Santa gets the toys across yeah. the world. It, it, it's it's really <laughs> funny. I don't want to say how, but. It's a great movie. It, it, it is really fun. It's a good uh, film to watch with the family. There's a lot of questions I want. I keep asking myself about that movie too, just yeah. for fun, because I want to know more about the lore they established. But right. it's what we're that, that's the other thing. They eat. Uh, Santa Claus is not one like long eternal person. Yeah. Or like, yeah, it's not. It's one individual, or no, it's not one individual. Sorry, I just said it wasn't. It's <laughs> it's a, it started with Saint Nick. Yeah. Uh, the Saint historic Saint Nicholas, but then he had children and a family lineage, and each yep. uh, son after him would become that Santa Claus. Yeah. Up until the point of the film Arthur Christmas, with his dad being Santa Claus. Right. And of course, having Grand Santa, mm-hmm. who was just a, a very comedic figure in the film. Yeah. <laughs> and the and the brother and all three of them trying to fight for the role of Santa. <laughs> right. Exactly. It, oh brother. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's just really funny because they actually try to trace the lore of themselves or their lineage back to St. Nicholas. Yeah. Which I think is just really funny. 
Because, like, uh, you... If Santa Claus was real and was historically aligned with St. Nick, then, yeah, he would, I feel like, yeah. would trace himself back. Of course, that's all hypothetical. But it's just fun to think about, you know. Yeah. It's a, it's a fun what-if scenario. What if Santa Claus was actually real and he had descendants? Yeah. And they were all of his descendants that were male were Santa Clauses. Right. But, of course, <laughs> my question is, how did they find a wife who was willing to keep the secret? I know. And, yeah, so many and how did they not have too many children to wear... They would spoil the secret. I know. <laughs> it's like, because in this mo- movie, the Santa Claus, the guy who is Santa Claus in the film, has two sons. Yeah. So it's like, what if they both get married? Yeah. And have kids? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's just, it creates a lot of questions. That oh, so It's many. just fun to speculate. Oh, yeah. And it's just, that makes, makes it so funny. Even certain comments in the movie, I'm like, yeah. but but I thought this meant that he was this and this was that and over yeah. there. <laughs> Oh, yeah, exactly. Now, Arthur Christmas, that was a funny movie. I thoroughly yeah. enjoyed that um, movie. James McAvoy plays Arthur, yep. the, ma- the main character. Um, Hugh Laurie plays the brother. Hugh Lo- Laurie plays the brother. For those who don't know him, he's a... Uh, House. House MD. Yeah. Yep. The guy who is a great doctor, but is kind of like Sherlock at the same time. Yes, and also an egotistical maniac. A, l- but- <laughs> a little bit egotistical, yeah. yes. Um Let's see, James McAvoy. Oh wait, I already said James. Yes, he did. Uh, Bill, I didn't realize this. Bill Nye, he plays Grand Santa. Yep, David Jones. Yeah, he's a. It's funny because he's sometimes a villain in films. Oh yeah. What's funny is he's British, but in Rango, he's like the snake. Yeah. yeah. A southern, a southern snake. Oh, he's he played the snake. No way. Yeah, I didn't know that. And uh, Imelda, Imelda, Imelda Stoughton, Stoughton, Imelda Stoughton. Who was in the Harry Potter films. And The Crown. And Downton and the, Abbey. And The Crown and Downton Abbey. She played, she, she played uh, Mrs. Claus. Yes. And she plays the Queen in The Crown in the last two seasons. It's funny how Mrs. Claus sounds like the Queen. I know, right? Yeah. Well, I guess you would visit a, the Elves Hospital. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> also, how do the Elves, like, not overpopulate? Like, that's the other thing. Yeah. If Santa has all these Elves to help him, I know. how do they not overpopulate and they <laughs> spill the secret? I know. Well, they don't really leave the North Pole. But. They also <laughs> mentioned a time in that film where Santa was seen and they had to go, everyone had to go into hiding. Yeah. And it was in 1816. Like, there's this one old elf <laughs> who keeps saying, 1816. <laughs> and I'm like, my gosh, what happened? I know, right? <laughs> it, it's just it's just a really f- funny film that that allows you to speculate about a lot of things related to the Santa Claus. Exactly. No, it's, it's a hilarious movie. I loved it. <laughs> now that now that you bring up that Christ Kindle thing, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if Martin Luther came up with it despite the Catholic Church. But again, there are a lot of myths surrounding Luther and what yeah. he did, so that's why I'm cautious about believing it. Oh, yeah. Is all. Oh, yeah, I understand that. And I fully agree. Again, it needs further examination. Right. Ugh. But that, but that aside, I actually want to talk about... Uh, cri- Christmas and paganism. There you go. Um, so often you will see on the internet many people, non-Christians and even some Christians included, who will claim that Christmas is a historically pagan holiday in its origins or that somehow Chris- Christians got it from uh, pagans. Yeah. Um, I think that the truth, the reality is that... Ac- I think the truth is actually that we didn't get it from pagans. It's a historically Christian holiday. And we have many sources that point to this of early Christians celebrating uh, the birth of Christ. Now, here's something that... So the earliest sources about Christmas being celebrated um, 
it was actually not called Christmas, but the Feast of Nativity. Oh, okay. I d- and um, my main sources are coming from a book called Holidays and Feasts by Nick Campbell. He does yeah. a lot of good historical research on on church history. I strongly recommend him for just about everything he does. Yeah. He actually has a podcast called Christ is the Cure. I strongly uh, recommend it. He's doing a series right now on denominations. Oh, nice. Um, you know, counting denominations yeah. as well, like what counts as a denomination. Yeah. And uh, as well as their differences in, uh, their specific differences in theology and yeah. why they believe what they believe. So, right. Um, for those who are confused about denominations, uh, historically and theologically, it's very helpful. Right. And his episodes aren't even that long. Like the longest... Like, some of his episodes are an hour, but most of them are yeah. around 30 minutes. So That's not bad. You won't be spending too much time listening. He packs in a lot of good information. Oh, yeah. But, uh, getting into my point about uh, the historiosity of Christmas. Uh, it was called the Feast of Nativity. Additionally, the Feast of Nativity was not merely centered around the single day of December 25th, but rather was the start of a 12-day period which ended during the Feast of Epiphany on January 6th. The Feast of Epiphany has early attestation and was a feast that celebrated the public manifestation of Jesus at his baptism. As far as I'm aware, it's typical for Eastern churches, I think referring to the Eastern Orthodox Church, uh, to continue this particular pattern. The West, referring to Catholics and Protestants, uh, the West, however, places more emphasis on Advent, which developed in the 4th to 5th century. Advent focuses upon the time leading up to Christmas Day. As the church grew over time, the liturgical calendar grew as well and would eventually encompass the entire year with set seasons and corresponding observances. Hmm. Let's see. There is this citation. Um, the, her- the earliest historical source referencing December 25th as the birth of Christ dates from between AD 200 to 211. This reference, however, is significant years prior to our earliest hinge date of AD 274. This source is often neglected in discussions on the subject, even by apologists. And I'm, uh, just to briefly explain, I'm quoting from his book. Mm-hmm. An early Christian writer, Hippolytus, I'm probably not saying that right, of Rome, has a commentary on Daniel, which says, For the first advent of our Lord in the flesh, when he was born in Bethlehem, eight days before the calends of January, December 25th, the fourth day of the week, while August was in his 42nd year, but from Adam 5,500 years, he suffered in the 33rd year, eight days before the calends of April, March 25th, the day of preparation, the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar. Hmm. He claimed, Hippolytus is actually claiming that Jesus was born on December 25th and died on March 25th. Hmm. And uh, the significance is apparent, and while this particular text was seen was once seen as questionable, it has since been deemed reliable. He doesn't mention the Feast of Nativity by name. That should be mentioned. But yeah. uh, the text remains important nonetheless for determining uh, the date and why December 25th is celebrated as the birth of Jesus. Right. There's also um, another thing that is often pointed to as Christmas being a pagan holiday is Christmas trees. Right. Now, what is often referenced, uh, th- now why people believe this and even some Christians claim this is because of a passage from Jeremiah, specifically Jeremiah 10, 2 through 4, to support the assertion that uh, Christmas is pagan because of the use of, because of the heavy emphasis on Christmas trees and how they are pagan. Right. And um, in Jeremiah 10, 2, 4, 10, 2 through 4 says, Learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, 
uh, because the nations are dismayed at them. For the customs of the peoples are vanity. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so they cannot move. As mentioned, this passage is the common text used against Christmas trees. To refute this claim, we must remember that context is key. This text is about fashioning an idol. The craftsman worked with an axe, and the idol was polished with silver and gold. This isn't about a decoration, and it is erroneous to believe that idols were created by bringing a potted plant or a tree into your house. That's the other thing. If we just decorate, if this, if people use this passage as claim like, oh, decorating trees is pagan, and if you claim that about Christmas trees, well, then you kind of have to claim that about other assorted bushes and trees and plants. Yeah. Um, This isn't about decoration and is erroneous belief that idols were created by bringing a potted plant or tree into your house. It is a negation of the historical and cultural context and a misrepresentation of what an idol is to suggest that Jeremiah is speaking against decorative greenery. And there's also the fact that uh, I appreciate that he brings this point up about the ancient Near East and how they worshipped idols and false gods. Yeah. In the ancient Near East, a god had to approve and initiate the manufacturing process of its idol. At the end of the process, special ceremonies and rituals were performed to allow the god to inhabit the idol and receive its tribute of food, drink, incense, etc. Worship was centered around idols in the ancient world, and and the idol was a means of communicating from the deity to the people and meeting worship from the people to the deity. So the tree, so essentially what the people are practicing in Jeremiah, which is pagan, is that they're trying to use these trees and decorate them to be a means of connecting with a fa- with that false deity. Okay. However, if you look at the way Christians use Christmas trees today, we're not doing nearly near nearly anything remotely connected to that. <laughs> now people yeah, say, yeah. "Well, we decorate them in tinsel and like silver and gold," and it's like, "Yeah, but do you see them trying to connect with the are they doing yeah. it in order to connect with the deity or are they just using it as a house decoration?" Right? Like you have to look at not just the fact to uh, that they're decorating, but the use yeah. of of the tree. Exactly. You can't just simply claim, oh, this reminds me of this passage, and it's paganism. It's like, <laughs> no. And, and yeah. the sad thing is, often people will, the research involved in saying Christmas was a pagan holiday, uh, Christmas is a pagan holiday, or trying to, you know, claim that Christmas trees are innately pagan is sadly, some of the, that's not to say there isn't any good research yeah. on the opposing side, but that often the uh, people on the internet will just do yeah. a Google search and that'll be their research. Well, that's the internet for you. So Yeah, but that's the internet. I yeah. would, I'm sure there's a better, I, I know there are better arguments from scholarship and those who have actually researched the history. Yeah, enough. exactly. Yeah, but that's something that I've always found interesting is that Honestly, it wasn't until a few years ago where I heard people start. It wasn't until Northwestern, yeah, where when we were at school that people were actually claiming Christmas trees were pagan, hmm. uh, or not people at Northwestern, yeah, or where I it, it's just I heard the claim while I was there, and yeah. It, it's like really, huh. that, that's kind of bizarre. Uh, of course, I didn't think these. Of course, I'm like, well, there's got to be a debate here because yeah. I'm sure. Not everyone is going to agree on that, and I'm yeah. sure there's reasons to disagree. Right. Which I think Nick Campbell, with his book here, does a good job of pointing out why it's re- reasonable to disagree with the claims that Christmas is a pagan holiday or that Christmas trees are pagan. Yeah. Because, again, in order for the 
in order for, just for example, the tree here in my room, in order for that to be an idol, I would have to try and use it at, in a specific way in order to use it as a means to mediate between me and a false god. Oh, mighty tree, you're so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, no. They wouldn't say that. They would. I know, I know. It would be connected with the deity behind the symbol. Oh, I'm I'm just kidding. Yeah, I'm just joking. No, but yeah. (laughs) Sorry. I know you're joking, but whenever someone jokes, I often respond with. Oh, I know you do. With a literal response. Oh, yeah. That's on every four years of college. All four years, whenever. Three years of It's just just funny now. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But but yeah. In order to. Yeah. it, It just doesn't make sense to say a Christmas tree is somehow innately pagan. Because right. just the way the argument flow, flows or the logic of it, it doesn't take into the historical ancient Near East context of yeah. how pagans would worship idols. Right. Because Jeremiah took place during that time in the ancient Near East. Yeah. Before uh, the time of Jesus and, and and the time of the apostles. Exactly. But yeah, that is the main thing I wanted to address with um, Christmas and paganism and Christmas trees. Um, he also makes a biblical case. Oh, this was the other thing I actually wanted to mention. Um, the reason Christians celebrate Christmas is, uh, not just cause I mean the birth of Christ, but it's about the incarnation of Christ. Yeah. It's about the fact that Christ came down from heaven, took on human flesh and became a babe who would eventually grow up, become a man and be the sacrifice for all sins for all time. Exactly. And that's why. We celebrate because it's the beginning point of that reality that eventually came about when he was, when Christ uh, became an adult. Yeah. So it's just it's just really cool. And a book I would strongly recommend. I'm gonna start reading it every year around Christmas time. But um, I started this year. Um, I read Athanasius's On the Incarnation, which is actually not a very long book. Um, yeah. It's like maybe 120, 130 pages long, and and if you wonder how long that is listening, for those who prefer to listen, it's only about three to four hours of listening, which is honestly not that long. Not bad. You can do like one hour a day or something. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I did about 30 minutes on day on average. But nice. um, I, rem- I just remember listening to that book, and it's honestly one of the most theologically well-written books I, I have ever read. And it's not even that long. It's, yeah. it's just so well put. And keep in mind, Athanasius was actually the bishop who, <clears throat> he was the bishop and theologian who advocated for uh, Jesus and the Father being one, being, one, being right. of the same essence. Oh, yeah. Sorry, guys, just blowing my nose. Apologies. <laughs> I'm surprised he wasn't the one who slapped Arius, of all people. Right. Well, maybe it's because he was the head of the, trying to prove a point. Right. Maybe maybe because he was more focused on yeah. articulating his point. Yeah, maybe he wasn't able to, you know? Maybe he wasn't able to. He's like he's like, Man, I really wish I could slap Arius. But I gotta I gotta argue my point here. I want you, but I gotta keep going fine. He probably you, you know you know what probably happened? I mean, obviously this is complete speculation, but what probably happened is um uh after Saint Nick slapped Arius, Athanasius was probably like I wish I did that. I wish it was me. (laughs) Which is just uh, really, really funny. Oh, I know, right? Yeah. But yeah, that was um, my brief discussion on the history aspects and theological aspects of Christmas and how it's not 
necessarily pagan. Yeah. Of course, there is more to this debate than what I've discussed here. Oh, yeah, and there always you, is. And you can read uh, Nick Campbell's book, Holidays and Feasts, because he goes more in-depth in the discussion on di- on different aspects of it. He also discusses Easter and paganism, uh-huh. but that can be saved for another time, because yeah, that, that's a very... Uh, that's a very interesting discussion, and yes, I have seen people on the internet claim Easter is a pagan holiday. Of course. <laughs> it's bizarre, but man, oh, yeah. internet's weird. Oh, always. That's why I try not to be on it at all too much. <laughs> Ugh, I, I need to do a better job of that, because trust me, I come across so much. <laughs> right. So much bad arguments, not just about this stuff, but about a lot of things. Oh, yeah. like, down the rabbit hole. Why, why, uh, down the rabbit hole, why am I here? Yep. <laughs> no, but yeah, that that's just uh, it's it's just yeah weird. Oh yeah, but yeah, that's uh my presentation on the historiosity and theology of Christmas, or at least you know a brief introduction into it. Uh, Andrew, is there anything else you wanted to talk about for this episode? Or? Yeah, so I'm gonna be talking about. So the first year we talked about traditions and uh, customs. And I wanted to continue that from our first Christmas special way did back you, when. Did you recall which what we addressed? I knew. I think you addressed Christmas cookies. I, I did, recall. and I remember. Ta- I know I talked about a log. I'm positive I talked about our Christmas log. But What's our Christmas log? I don't remember. You, well, I'm gonna restate because I found it again, and for this year we talk about it. For those of you who remember, please re- please let me know if we did because I'm positive we did. But uh, why it says we did? But that's another story. Um, well, because I I don't remember. Yeah, because you don't remember. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I'm at first time. So I got these two articles. One was from journeymexico.com because it just basically ways to. Find oh, is this about the different cultures Christmas traditions? Yes, culture Christmas traditions. Yeah, I'm trying to continue that from the first year, and then uh, the. Well, I'm also going to be talking about some traditions in Spain as well. Some Christmas traditions from Spain, and how this is going to go is is it, I don't remember the website I got the Spain article from, but they're both from sites that were kind of like, come see Mexico, come see Spain, come travel to these areas. It was one of those. Oh, uh, so it's a tourist kind of tourist type of website, but it gives them talks about more of the customs and stuff at the same time. Gotcha. Just for them to see whenever, if they ever come around Christmas. Now to add some backstory, I'm going to talk about, um, La Posadas. Well, La Posadas is a tradition in Mexico. Now, how I'm going to say it is, is, um, First, I had some backstory. Again, this is from Adventures in Odyssey. I one time wa- listened to a Adventures in Odyssey episode where uh, a Hispanic family told, um, told taught some people in Odyssey about a La Pasada, and they reenacted it. Well, then I wa- I was also reminded of it when I watched an old Disney movie, uh, The Three Caballeros. Um, so I just had some backstories to why and how I know this, but La Pasadas are basically Christmas traditions where, basically, they would. S- Mexicans would basically surround themselves with family, friends. They would sing, enjoy a warm meal, spend holiday cheer all around. And basically what would be happening is is that they, it takes place on nine nights from December 16th to December 24th. It commemorates the Virgin Mary and St. Joseph's search for a place to stay where Jesus was born. Sometimes for La Posadas, they actually have children dressed up as angels, as shepherds, as Mary and Joseph, and they would go from house to house. Asking for for a room in, asking for a room a place to stay because of Mary, and whoever would if they would, someone would deny it, they would go to the next house until finally if someone says that they would welcome them in, they would go in, and that's where they would have a party. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so it's a that is a very quick and strange way to get acquainted with strangers. I think that it's like a community. Type oh, thing. So gotcha. They get, so they get it all. Yeah, no, it's okay. It's like a community thing. They get it all together. And Just imagine if it. you try if you tried that. 
here here though in the states people will be like <laughs> get out of here yeah, it, well, yeah, the, again, you have to be, it's like, all right, everybody, put a post-it note, tell everybody about this, because uh, the house where they would be allowed in would be the house where they're to chose for the party. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I see. It, may, it makes sense that's more of a community thing. Because, yeah. Because, yeah, it would be so weird to try that here. I know, right? <laughs> they, they, they uh, yeah, Americans would be so caught off guard by that. Oh, I know. So, Vasadas originated originally. Um began as a way for um, people in Mexico to teach native people about Christmas. Um, basically, they would include presentations about Mary and Joseph, followed by... Come on, down. There we go. Followed by uh, a following mass, there was a part where people were blindfolded before hitting a piñata with a stick, which was a representation of faith defeating temptation with the help of virtue. And that when they were... When they opened up the piñata... Excuse me. Um, the fruits and sweets that poured out of the piñata represented the joys of union with God. Mm-hmm. And another thing they was basically, yeah, it was always just something that people would do together as family and friends would get together and enjoy themselves. Now the piñatas, which again, I never knew they had piñatas for this. It was really cool. Um, they have seven spikes on them. It's not your typical like little horsey piñata, minion right. piñata. It's literally something that has seven spikes. Right. And with the seven spikes still, they represent the seven deadly sins. Oh, and basically, um, they they always remain essential to the part of the to a central part of Las Posadas. They are commonly filled with candy, originally representing the forgiveness of sins and a new beginning. In more traditional celebrations, you'll find them filled with small fruits, cookies, and peanuts. And then um, there's also um, now forgive me if I'm I'm trying to learn Spanish, so if I mispronounce this, forgive me. Aguinaldo or bolo. Um, which is basically some candy, some bags that they will hand to people at the end of the posada. You either said that correctly or was close to saying it correctly. Yeah, <laughs> close. And then um, they would also serve a drink called the Ponche Ponche Ponce Navidiano, Mexican Christmas fruit punch. Um, basically, it was a hot, flavorful drink with many as many as synonymous with the holidays. Its ingredients vary from state to state, but it's occasionally prepared with tejocote, Mexican hawthorn. Sugarcane, tamarind, apple, pear, guava, and cinnamon sticks. And some hosts who have adults would sometimes put in uh, tequila or rum to go with it. Mm. Um, but that was another drink, a drink they would use. They would serve tamales. Uh, not your hot tamales that people get from the candy store. These are tamales. They are made of steamed corn dough filled with meats, cheeses, and vegetables. And they, they're obviously you can find them year-round in Mexico. But they're very popular during the, during the holiday season. And then they also have a song that they would sing called the Posada Litany. Which was basically, the song was basically what they would sing when they would go from house to house, if I'm correct on this. They would sing a song about what they were doing, and then the, the, they were they were said no, they'd go to the next house, and the next house. And that's basically how it would always carry on. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't sing the lyrics, maybe I'll say that for another day. <laughs> um, but, so, let's see, I, did write, I read all that. Oh, that was, oh that's just my review. Um... But they always is it's a tradition that Mexico people in Mexico have always been doing for years. Now Spain has a list of things they normally do. Um, first one I'm going to talk about, which honestly fits with what uh, what day it is today. We're going to talk about El Gordo, the fat lottery. And now the El Gordo is a huge lottery that they have every Christmas. Um, basically, um, they have it started out in 1812, and a tradition for the winning numbers to be announced live on TV, and it's a tradition now for live on TV to be announced on December 22nd. Unfortunately, I did not look up who won that this year. It would have been fun to find out. Um, but so basically, what they would do is they would be 
And they would also have the winning numbers signed out by a choir of children for the lottery. So in other words, so here's the numbers, children. And they would say the number out loud. Interesting. <laughs> and um, then but also what you could do is if you had a number for a ticket for the lottery, you could also split. So say, for example, Wyatt and myself decided to go in on this. We would split the ticket. And whoever, if we, if we won the numbers, we would split the money even, even. Oh. There was actually a town in 2011, an entire town who had a single ticket, and they won, splitting a, hundred, a share of 950 million euros. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we're also going to talk about the three kings. Now, this also is related to our St. Nicholas and Santa Claus. The three kings, or the three wise men, um, and you guys know the names, Melchior, Gaspar, and Balthazar. Instead of Santa Claus, it's actually the three wise men who bring the gifts to kids at Christmas time. Interesting. And they, and they, don't, they also don't come on Christmas Eve. Instead, towns and cities hold huge three kings parades on the night of January 5th, where the kings parade around through the town on floats and throughout suites for the kids. Which is honestly a smart move since the wise men didn't come till much later after Christ's birth. True, yeah. In reality, later. In reality, they didn't arrive on, on, on the evening of Christ's birth. They actually arrived uh, much later after he was born. But it, I think yeah. it was like a couple years after. Yeah, it was, was a few born. years after. Yeah. yeah, until they finally found him. Um, but they traveled. Uh, but they traveled west far. Yeah. Oh, they very much did, and yeah. took him forever. Um, so they finally reached Jerusalem and then right. finally reached Bethlehem. Yeah. Um, anyways, but then there's also other... I don't know, did they see Jesus in Bethlehem? I think they did. I think Joseph, uh, Joseph and Mary and Je- Jesus stayed there. Because they did flee Bethlehem before the wise men came, I think. Wouldn't they have? I don't think so. I think they fled afterwards because that's when, cause that's when the angel came to well, Joseph. And well, no. Uh, they fled Bethlehem after... The wise men began to leave and stuff. Well, yeah, but they didn't see them after a couple of years after Jesus' birth in reality. Yeah, so they would have fl- fled Bethlehem before they came. No, I I could have sworn no no because when the wise men never showed up, the king got angry and decided, and basically told them to told them to kill all the newborns two years and younger. And stuff. He didn't tell the wise men that he told no no them. I t- the people the the guards the yeah. laws the rules right you know what I'm saying it's late night yeah. sue me um, yeah but um well it's not late night it's only nine forty two anyways um there was also in Spain two other mythical figures that were close to Santa Claus. In Galicia, there's a mythical coal miner called El Apopador. Ap- he feels children's stomachs to see if they've been eaten well and leaves behind little trees like chestnuts and sweets. And the Basques have also have their own more rugged version of Santa, the mythical giant Olenzero. He wears peasants' clothing, smokes a pipe, and brings gifts to children for Christmas Eve in return for food and alcohol. Mm. <laughs> um, another, one that th- another tradition they use is Portal de Bellens, meaning Stable of Bethlehem. Basically, uh, so if you picture the nativity scenes at our, in around the United States, mm-hmm. small, simple ones, uh, or from at homes to big ones in businesses, these are ones just like those, except they're much bigger, bigger reenactments, actual animals, actual people sometimes. Uh, they would have even bigger sets, like kind of a big design type thing that was right. a huge decoration, much bigger than like a normal small one that people would have in their houses. And it would be all elaborate. They'll have everything down to the fine tooth comb and detail. And um, and then there's also like a traditional house. You'll also find like houses, shops, like Jesus, baby Jesus, and three wise men everywhere. And like there's even ones with real life people, which has happened before. Now, all right, here's my re-education for you because I'm positive you knew about this once upon a time. Okay. The Caja Tijo, or, or the um, Christmas log. It's one of the, according to this article, it's one of the most curious of all Spanish Christmas traditions and found in the Catalonia region. 
it's a pooping log. So basically what happens, um, it's a log that's dressed up with all sorts of stuff and the children feed the log small, uh, just small bits of food and then the, until it goes up to Christmas. On Christmas Eve and, or Christmas Day, they sing to the log and whack it. <laughs> and basically from there, they then, um, I lost my spot, one second. And then um, basically, they um, and they stay, and they ask him to poop out Toron, sweet nugget, nougat, and other treats for them. And then once they take, once the song is finished, they take off the blanket to discover all the hidden sweets. And then um, so that's another thing. Um, there was once a commercial about it. I wish I can show it to you again. I don't remember where it is. Um, but if you guys want to find it, look it up. It's a funny commercial. But now, lastly, is it lastly? I don't think so. Let me double check. Oh, let's see. Okay. There's also cat there's midnight mass on Christmas Eve where right. they would have well there's basically they would um uh, which also would be known as La Misa de Gallo, the mass of the rooster, because the rooster supposedly crowed the night Jesus was born. Oh. Um they eat a main Spanish Christmas dinner on Christmas Eve, just before or after midnight mass, and they basically celebrate Jesus' birth together around that time. Now, the another one tradition is El El Araste which is uh, found in the coastal city of Cadiz. Basically what happens is um, they string ex- kids string some cans together and they go around the town went blind and clanging around to remind the three wise men to stop by to give gifts. Now, one one other thing I will say, or two other things, which I'm trying to mind, make sure I find everything. Yeah, that's right. Two last things I was going to point out was one other food that Spain makes called the Roscón de Reyes. And basically what it is, is a Christmas cake. And what it is uh, of the cake is they, um, it's a way to celebrate the arrival of the three kings. It's a sweetbread-like cake filled with whipped cream and almonds with candy fruits and crushed almonds. Wow. It sounds really good, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, what they put in there, though, is a fava bean and a small figurine that are hidden inside. Whoever finds the figurine in their slice will be blessed with good luck for a whole year. If you get the fava bean, you pay for the next cake next year. Oh. <laughs> and, um, basically, that's what it was for a, a fun little tradition they carry on. Then lastly, what they have is Dia de los Santos Inocentes, which is um, is a Spanish version of April Fool's Day for Christmas, but it's held on December 28th. Oh, gosh. It's a day for playing harmless pranks, wearing funny wigs, glasses, hats. Once you prank someone, you shout, Inocente, Inocente. And when you say, well, and we say, watch your back, we mean it. One of the most popular pranks is to tape a drawing of a stick figure on someone's back. <laughs> I'm curious how that would be viewed <coughs> as a prank. Well, I mean, I'm not for sure. I have to get more details, but right. he's just like, you never know how many they can get on your back or whatever, but... Interesting. Yeah, oh, without you noticing? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So yeah, Innocente, Innocente. I think it... I'm trying to figure out what Innocente means. It either means innocent or it means a watch your back. I'm not for sure. I got to figure that out right. and research it. But those are um, eight traditions that people in Spain celebrate Christmas with and alongside everything else. In Spain or... In Spain. Not in Mexico. No, Mexico was the uh, was the other point I told you about the the log. No, no, not the log. Um, that was the um. Where do I find my papers? My research. Pasada, La Pasada. Oh, gotcha. Yep, we moved from Spain after the La Pasada. Okay. Yes. Um. So yeah, that's some of my tr- customs and traditions I have found from Spain and Mexico, and I'm hoping to look up for some more for the next special we do. But yeah, those are some of the fun ones I found, and some of the ones I remember from learning f- previous years. Right. Oh, but that's all I have. Um, why is there anything else you have? Nope, nothing at all. Just 
Um, a lot of ways, uh, yeah. I just, um, no, I think that's it, yeah. All right. I just really appreciate uh, Nick Campbell's book and his uh, treatment of uh, the Christmas holiday and the history connected with it because it, it's really easy to, I mean, not necessarily for me, but it is easy because of the overwhelming uh, amount of stuff that is posted on the internet to oh, feel yeah. like you just it feels easier to believe it, but yeah. it, the best thing to do is to do real historical research. Oh yeah. Because that, that's really important for understanding, uh, Christmas as a holiday and why there's debate over whether or not its roots are pagan. Or yeah. Not. Right. right. And Christians have argued even, in fact, Nick Campbell actually argued that, uh, what was it? It was, um, Uh, that even, uh, if, like, uh, Christmas was originally pagan and Christians, uh, took it from pagans, uh, that doesn't mean the holiday as it is, is the same thing. Yeah. Right. Because in order for it to have been the same thing, we would have to be doing pagan practices. Exactly. Which we don't. Right. So that's the thing. Even if Christmas started or was adopted from a pagan holiday... It, um, uh, we're not doing the same thing. Right. So that, that's kind of the, uh, ironic thing that I appreciate he points out. I forget which page though I found that on. He, yeah. And just so you know, people for what I, what I was re what I was talking about for the customs too, I quoted from a lot from the sources I found, yeah. um, from the two websites, just to give you a heads up. That's where my sources were. And that's why I quoted a lot from, from some of my words, just to give a heads up. Um, oh yeah, here it is. Here is the highlight. Um, the question we are seeking to answer is simple. Is Christmas pagan? Yet what many are actually asking are the roots of Christmas pagan. The answer to that, this is no. When Christmas original design and focus is considered, this needs to be stressed. Even if Christmas turns out to replace or Christianize a pagan holiday, its purpose, function, and role is categorically Christian, regardless of how we feel about Christianization of elements. So even if it's a Christianization of a holiday, you have to think about the purpose, function, and role of the holiday versus yeah. its supposed pagan roots, assuming that it did have pagan roots. Right. That it was a, or that Christmas is a Christianized version of a pagan holiday. Right. So that that's something that needs to be considered, which I really appreciate him uh, putting that in his book. But yeah. definitely recommend getting the book because it discusses Christmas uh, feasts and Easter and as well as the claims that those holidays are pagan yeah and whether or not those holidays are in fact pagan or Christian so yeah a very helpful book for that and uh, I also found your discussion of uh, the Spanish and um, Mexican holidays uh, to be the Mexican the way they celebrate culture culture the way their culture celebrates christmas to be very fascinating especially the yeah going around asking for the inn yeah. because i thought oh you're supposed to do this at random with no yeah. one expecting it but you know, no well, the community, community participates yeah. knows it's happening so it's like yeah. okay good because imagine going to a stranger's house like hey do you have room for us it's like no, no. <laughs> because if you didn't plan that with your community they would obviously say no oh yeah exactly they'd be like what are you doing what are you talking about yeah <laughs> Oh, I know. So, all right, what is our, what is, what is our special announcement we have to make and what is our next episode we're doing? 
Uh, next episode we'll be doing is um, another author discussion, historical authors. Uh, this time we previously did um, modern authors. Yes, we and, did. And we started with historical authors, so we're going to go back to historical authors. Um, honestly, it'd be nice if for those episodes we just bounce back and forth between. One I know, right? That'd be fun. So, yeah, <laughs> but we're going to do historical authors. Andrew will be discussing we'll Agatha be doing, Christie. We'll be doing female authors, Agatha Christie, and I'll be discussing uh, Anne Bradstreet. Yep. Um, the other thing we're going to do that will be new for this next year is we'll still be doing at least one episode together a month where we're both uh, recording the episode, but. We are now going to start uh, a new focus where we each do at least one episode a month separately on different topics. Mm -hmm. So, like, Andrew could do uh, an episode on uh, the book War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy. He could record himself, and that would be uh, under our History Brothers podcast. Yeah. Or I could do an episode on a Protestant reformer like Jan Kamenius, which I'm yeah. planning to do as probably one of my first, if not the first episode I do on my own. Right. But yeah, we figured this would just be a nice way for us to do, allow ourselves to put out, uh, discuss historical figures, events, and ideas, and as well, and just to allow ourselves to not remain stagnant because yeah. that's often what happens when you do research. Is like yeah. you research all the stuff and you. And you work on it, but then you're like, wait, I'm not discussing this. I feel stagnant. Yeah. I'm not going to really be able to research much else until I talk about this. Yeah. Until I get the information out. Right. So that's part of why we're doing this. But also, we just want to put more episodes out than just the usual 12 to 13 a month. Yeah. 12 to 13 a year. We know um, we've we've gotten lots of listens as we, I think we stated this already, but we got, or did we? Uh, did for we, sure. I don't know if we stated this or not, but we recently about a month or so ago uh reached over 1000 total listens which we thank you guys for listening it is amazing you guys are awesome yeah thank you so much for for getting us uh this far it's amazing and incredible it is but i think and i think um uh with us doing solo episodes this will only help increase that but also it will allow people to be uh have uh gauge their interest in more topics It'll also be good too for in case we're our podcasts our our group podcast episodes are a little short on our topics. Right. It would also be good to have compa- those are independent ones to be companion pieces to what we just discussed. Right. Also, we'll sometimes do our solo episodes won't always, but sometimes we'll be in tandem with our uh, yeah uh, main group, group main group duo podcast yeah. episodes. So like if we wanted to we could focus on a particular topic or idea, and then our solo episodes for that month could uh, discuss that more exactly. in detail. And we're also hopefully, we're hoping and praying that we'll hopefully be able to get some more guest speakers on our podcast this upcoming year as well. Right. See what we can do and go from there. And yeah, is, is that everything, Wyatt? Yep, that's everything. Rock and roll. Well, everybody, hope you, hope you guys enjoyed our podcast. I'm Andrew. And I'm Wyatt. You guys have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.